Praise God. Well, we've been in a series about simplicity from the inside out. Now, I know if you're if you've been following along and you're looking at the little uh, artwork on the front of your bulletin there, you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is supposed to be, we're supposed to be finished with this. And I really did. I thought this would be a four-week series. But in talking to many of you and just kind of uh, fielding some of your questions uh, over the last month, it's been really good, and hearing from the Holy Spirit, uh, we really decided, hey, we're going to call an audible and go one more week on this because we think, I think there's something very, very special that God has um, on this idea of decluttering our souls that we've been talking about, living with greater focus, learning to be disciples, more effective disciples, right? Which is what this has really been all about, you know, when you think about it. It's really been about how to be disciples, being, being disciples. Here's what we've discovered, just to kind of remind you way back from week one, here's what we've discovered about how that discipleship process works in our life. And it's very simple. Discipleship, it's very simple. It's stepping out to do what you can currently do what you can currently do, so that eventually you can do what you cannot currently do. That's it. It's very simple, right? Discipleship is intimidating to some people. They think of, oh, discipleship, that means I'm going to have to like have it all together from day one. Day one, Jesus wants, you know, is going to like require the impossible of me. No, 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 no. Some of you are like, man, you're talking about forgiveness a couple of weeks ago, forgiving, you know, and we got to forgive everybody like Jesus does. You know, there's that person. I just, I struggle with it. I, I can't seem to forgive them. You know, I can't seem to forgive them. Okay, okay, it's cool. Do what you can currently do so that eventually you can do what you cannot currently do. That's discipleship. Jesus asks of us, what he asks of us is to follow him. Follow him and follow him together. That's what we're doing here. To begin with where you're at, orient yourself. See, discipleship means you orient yourself in the direction of Jesus and you start taking a step. That's all, that's all he's asking of you. Start following in his footsteps. Don't stay where you're at, right? That's not growth, but follow him. Start following in his footsteps. So today, I want to wrap, wrap this series up by talking about, and this is such a crucial component of this life of simplicity that we're talking about, this life of simplicity and focus. And if you don't get this one thing, it will be impossible to live with simplicity of soul, it's that important. And I'll say this too. If you do get it, then you can't fail. If you can get this one thing, I tell you what, you cannot fail at having simplicity of soul. It's that important, that important. And so we're really concentrating on this, and uh, especially due to a lot of the questions that we've been getting from folks. So here we go. We're going we're gonna to dive into the Word. We've got a lot to cover, so I'm going to talk pretty fast this morning. Here we go. We're going to start in the book of Luke. Everybody, if you got your Bibles, Luke. Force is strong with this one. Here we go. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 40. We're going to read this through this little story here. Verse 40. At sunset. Okay, generally, sunset means it's kind of the end of the day. In this culture, things are winding down at sunset, right? This is Jesus' day. There's not electricity. So sunset, things wind down. People don't start heading out to club. Right? They're going home. But what's happening? The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the Son of God. <laughs> we've, we've covered this before. Demons in the Bible. Everybody in the gospel seems to have a hard time understanding exactly who Jesus is, except for the demons. They are crystal clear. We know who you are, right? The demons, yeah, we know. All right. So there's demons shouting, at daybreak... Now, what time was it just before? Sunset. 
okay, so we've been at Club Jesus all night long. At daybreak, and apparently he's gone all night. If he lays hands on every single person there, he's laying hands. That's a long line, right? And plus, he's probably spending some time. You know, every once in a while, he kind of does the Ivan Tate thing and says, you know what? I think something's going on in your life. That person you have at home, that's not your husband. Anyway, you know, because Jesus could do that every once in a while. So at daybreak, finally, Jesus went out to a solitary place. All right, so he needs some space. Jesus needs some space. He needs to, some time alone to recharge his batteries, kind of get back in his rhythms, okay? It says the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. For Jesus, the gospel is the kingdom of God, right? It's, it's, he's not talking about the heaven place when you die. He's talking about the he- heaven has come to earth, right? Heaven has come, the good news of the kingdom, the invasion of heaven to earth, I got, I got to proclaim the good news to the other towns because that is why I was sent. In verse 44. So he continued to travel around, preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Okay, so this, this story is, is easy to, to just kind of skip through and think, oh, it's nice, but, but think about what he's doing here. Person after person, person after person is coming to him. He's laying hands on all these people. He's healing them. He's healing the paralyzed. He's healing people who can't walk, people who have skin conditions, breathing conditions, whatever it is. They, they can't work their land. These are, these are real problems, diseases. One by one, he's healing them. The demon-possessed, he's healing them, right? Healed, healed, saved, delivered, healed. And, and you know, in a communal culture like this, too, word had to spread. The, the Scripture tells us word would spread like wildfire when Jesus was going around preaching to places. So word probably spread over the next hill to the next village over there. Oh, you got a, there's a rabbi over here healing. You got to see what he's doing. It's amazing, right? So people were running all over the place, getting people, bringing the people for Jesus and so the news spread, and so you have this village here that Jesus is at just begging him, look, look, you got to stay. So-and-so still needs healing. My Uncle Ted's coming from the next village. He, like, needs new teeth or, like, a hip or something. He's coming, right? you got to stay. And Jesus is like, nope, got to go. See ya. It's been real. I'm out of here. Catch around. Guys, pack it up. We're leaving. And he's gone. So, I mean, think about this. You have real, pressing, good things that Jesus could be doing. Real things. And I would argue some great things that Jesus could be doing. And Jesus says, no, I got to go. It's fascinating. Now, this wouldn't happen here at our church, of course. But do you think in that community there might have been some guilt trippers in the crowd? Some guilt trippers, you know, were like, no, you can't go. How can you do this? Right? We wouldn't be that way, but, you know, they, they probably were. Probably a few of those, you know, I imagine there were some, you're supposed to be the one, right? Don't you care? I thought you, I thought you loved me, right? <laughs> guilt trippers. And what does he do? He walks. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Is it my Savior life? You ready? I don't have to do it all. I don't have to do it all. You don't have to do it all. Some of you are writing that down. Your hands are trembling. You're like, oh, this can't be true. It is. It is true. You don't have to do it all. 
Yeah, Jesus doesn't do it all. There's real, pressing, urgent, flesh and blood blood needs, illnesses, sickness, possession, whatever. And Jesus is like, nope, I got to go. How? How does... How does Jesus stare this kind of need in the, in the face and walk away? We're going to explore that today, right? Um, years ago, there was a series of little short films uh, that, that came out. Some of you might have heard of them called NUMA videos. And there was this one, they're scripturally, they're about scripture and different thoughts on that. And there was one that just really struck me. It always stayed with me. And it noticed something in the, in the Gospels, this little detail in the Gospels that just thousands of commentators have noticed and commented on and studied out. It's this little detail that we're going to look for ourselves. In the same book that we are, we're in, cha- we're in uh, Luke. Start in chapter, we're, uh, we're going to go chapter 9. So I'm going to read kind of fast. And let's see if you uh, recognize a little pattern here. Okay. 951. He says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Let's look at chapter 13. He says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Chapter 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. In chapter 18. We are going up to, all together now, Jerusalem. Right? Chapter 19. Notice how if you're the writer, you're telling this story. There's, some, there's a point you're trying to get across here, right? There's something he really wants to get a point, so he's repeating it over and over and over. It's like the school of redundancy school. He's making sure we got it, right? He says, after Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Again and again in this narrative. It's like this refrain in a song, right? It's got a beat. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem and on the way he left for Jerusalem. And by the way, he was then headed to Jerusalem. One of the One of the translations says he set his face to Jerusalem. Set his face. That's just an ancient Greek euphemism. For it it actually, it actually means stubbornly focused. He set his face, stubbornly focused, on Jerusalem. Hello. (laughs) We're a little busy right now. Sorry. I'll talk to you later. So here, here he is. He's headed to Jerusalem. Something is driving Jesus. Namely, he's got to get to Jerusalem. Everything's oriented around this. Everything he does, every interaction he has, every little aside that he goes on, everything is gauged to run through this filter of, does this help me or prevent me from getting to Jerusalem? So we could say it like this. What, what Jesus says yes to and what he says no to are shaped by this larger mission of getting to Jerusalem. What he says yes to, what he says no to, are shaped by this mission. Now, as we study Jesus out, one of the things you find out is this making his way to Jerusalem does not prevent him from being compassionate, does not prevent him from being generous, even spontaneous on occasion, right? Uh, one time he crossed the lake, and he got to the shore, and he, and, he, and he healed a guy who was possessed with a demon right there on the shore. He healed him, got back in the boat, and went back right to where he was. So Jesus can be led by the Spirit. He can be spontaneous. So it's not like he's, Jesus is just walking around going, can't talk, got to go to Jerusalem, can't talk, tell him, leave me alone, leave me alone, I got a big mission, leave me alone. He's not doing that, right? No time for anybody. 
I'm very important. <laughs> it's not like that, right? He, d- he, he does not make choices based on selfishness. He doesn't make his choices based on laziness because he just really wants to play a little more Xbox, right? He, that's not why he's making his choices actually based on love, if you look at his life. He loves these people. You notice he purposefully is going through villages. You know, that's a slower way to get to Jerusalem. If you really wanted to get there fast, you could go around him. He goes through villages because he wants to heal. He wants to make time for people. And he is able, I believe Jesus is able to look at these people, even the ones when it's time to leave, the ones who are like, there's still some healings over here to do. Because I, I think Jesus says, you know what? I know you think that is your greatest need, but I know of something you're even more desperate for. And I got to go fulfill that. Right? I think a lot of times we pray, we cry out to God with our very greatest need, and, and sometimes God answers with a yes, right? He meets that need, and then sometimes God goes, oh, you have no idea what your greatest need is. That is what we're actually working on, right? I think God, a lot of times, I've said this before, I think God is a lot of times, he's answering prayers that we don't even know to ask. He's answering prayers because we think, this is, the greatest, this is the greatest thing I need in my life, and he's going, oh, No, there is something so much more that we need to do in your life. That's just a freebie. (laughs) So he makes time for people. He gets he's spontaneous on occasion, but notice he never lets it derail his mission. Jesus never lets the little aside, the extra time he spends with somebody. He never lets that derail them from the larger mission. He never gets into a town and, you know, buys a house because, you know, and, and then, you know, takes a job or something like that where he, you know, now he's stuck here. He never lets that happen. When it comes to his work, his interactions, how he's oriented his life, there's this giant thing that Jesus sees that helps, it guides him like a compass. It guides him like a compass. And everything, every choice he could make every temptation, every good thing that comes along, every option, every good thing, even every great thing, I would say, he could be doing is continually being filtered through this focus on Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? It's focused through this. You know, as a church, we're the same way. We have, we have focus. There's a lot of good things different churches can do based on what they're called. You know, they're in their community to do certain things. About a year ago or so, God gave us a holy mandate. He gave us a focus. And it, was, and, it, and it was really based on two phrases. Everybody makes disciples, and no one walks alone. It's a guiding compass for us. It helps us sort through a lot of great possibilities, great choices that we could do as a church. And if you really want to just filter those two words down to one word, those two phrases to one word, it's relationship. It's relationship. That's our guiding compass. That's our Jerusalem here at Generations. Okay. Let's look at this from another perspective. Um, See, from the very beginning of this series, we've we've been trying to get into the mindset of Jesus. We have access to the mind of Christ. Let's look at Matthew 17. We're trying to get to this focused simplicity that Jesus seemed to have and work, that it worked out in the way he lived, this mindset. Matthew 17, in verse 1, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a mountain by themselves. That's important, by themselves. There's three of them. Where's the other nine? Down, down the mountain, right? They're still at camp making tacos or something. Three, Jesus takes three of them up, up the mountain. And there 
he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Oh, this is a pretty, you know, oh, pretty moment, right? It gets better. Verse 3, just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah. What? Talking with Jesus. They've been dead for a thousand years. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters. This is the first instance of a Christian saying, let's start a building program. (laughs) One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I love Peter. He's just like, I really relate to Peter. He, you know, he comes up with some weird ideas sometimes, but he, Peter's thinking this through. Moses and Elijah are here. They're having a great time with Jesus. Eventually, they're going to want some space. So let's build them a shelter. Uh, Jesus nicks that idea. So Jesus and his three closest disciples, they go up this mountain. They have this aha experience, right? Moses and Elijah show up. Jesus is all bright and shiny. This is amazing. And then, verse 9, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Okay. And in verse 10, the disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Now, we're not going to get into their conversation, but the point I want to show you is Jesus takes three of the disciples up the mountain, not all 12, just these three And they have this supernatural, mystical experience with Jesus. Like, this happened right there in front of their eyes. And then afterward, Jesus is walking down the mountain, answering their questions and interacting with them. You can read it on your own later. He's, He's interacting with them. They're asking him questions. He's answering. He obviously took them on this excursion on purpose, right? He wanted to teach them something. These three, he wanted to teach them. He wants to show them something. So on the way down, he's like a, I, I just picture like a dad talking to his sons, you know, like after a, a big experience. So guys, what'd you think about that, right? What, you know, you have any questions about that, anything? They're, they're having this back and forth dialogue, questions, answers, and they're chatting. Now, here's why this is significant. Over in Luke 10, it says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, Okay, 72. So now, so we see here, he's got this ring of 72 of his disciples that he's appointing. If you look over in Matthew 11, Jesus had just finished instructing his 12. But then, if you look ahead in the book of Acts, it says that when Jesus is resurrected before he ascends to heaven, there's like this core of 120 followers, 120, they sort of make up the genesis of the first church, of the early church, right there. And, and so there's this, I'm real visual, right? So I've got to have like things painted out for me really plainly because I'm not super quick. So this is how I think of it. There's this circle of 120. And then there's this inner circle of 72 that he can lead and appoint, send out on missions. And, but then within that is this inner circle of 12 closest disciples. And he's pouring himself into their lives, Right. But within those 12, we're told of an inner, inner, inner circle of three. Now, this is very interesting. Relationally, Jesus, he only has a few people that he's really and truly intimate and tight with. This is Jesus. Who could handle it all? He only has a few that he's really intimate and tight with. He doesn't take... 120 people up the mountain. And then try to have a discussion on the way home with 120 people. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. He has these different levels of relationships. 
Which brings me to, to a very simple observation about Jesus. Jesus seems to go deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer people. You know, that's why even in a church like ours, however, and, and this is a growing church, Generations is growing, praise the Lord, he's doing wonderful miracles here, but no matter how large our community of generations here gets, you still need time to connect with a smaller number of folks in intimate, authentic community. You have to have that time. Because there is something you can do with a dozen that you just can't do with 300. You can't take 300 up the mountain, right? And there's something even deeper you can do with three or four than you can do with a, with a multitude of people. So it bring, this, this brings up a really important question, and that is this, how many relationships can you handle? How many relationships can you handle? See, when we talk about being this kind of church, being a relational kind of church, diving into, really leaning into relationships, some of us hear that, and it immediately stresses you out, because you just think, this is more on my plate. Right? I'm supposed to get up 10 minutes earlier and spend more time with Jesus. That's more on my plate. Now I'm supposed to like re- lean into people. That's more on my plate. More on my plate. Right? This is an important question that we have to make sure we understand. To be a church who is, who is learning to be all about relationships. How many deep, vulnerable, go-the-distance relationships can you handle? 3, 4, 12, 72, 300? How many people can we stay truly intimately and authentically connected to? Because we probably can't have 72 best friends, as awesome as that would be. It just, it doesn't really work. Let me ask this a different way. How many of you deal with guilt on a daily basis over the 72 relationships you feel like you should be in every day. And no matter what you do for the Lord, you've done great stuff for the kingdom, and you did this, and you were with people, and all this kind of stuff. You're being a disciple, and at the end of the day, all you can do is just think about the crowd of people you didn't get to. That email you didn't send. That, that phone call you didn't send to that, that person. And you end up feeling con- condemnation. You end up feeling and, and thinking, I, I, just, I don't have time. I just don't have more time. I've got to find more time. Maybe I need to go with less rest, you know, so I'll, I'll dig into my rest. Maybe less family time. And, and maybe I'll sacrifice my family so I can allow this group, this crowd, this multitude of people into the intimate corners of my life because that's what it's all about. I think, see, this is what happens if we misunderstand the message of relationship. If we misunderstand the point, we try to be too much to too many people. What happens is, the more widely we try to spread ourselves, we just end up going shallower and shallower, shallower. And so you've got 3,472 friends on Facebook, according to, you know, Facebook. These are all your very, very best friends. But you find that the real relationships you really should be pouring yourself into are more and more thin. Those relationships suffer. They're more and more thin, right? And so we think, oh, this, I, got, I got to put more stuff on my plate. We got to, I got to shove more stuff on my plate. And we've said this before since, since week one of this. This is not about putting more stuff on your plate. This is about removing the clutter from your plate so that God 
can put on your plate what he wants for you to have every single day. So there is room for him to move with you and in you and through you and to bless other people. But we got to throw some bones in the trash that is cluttering up the plate, right? It all comes back to food for me, sorry. <laughs> right? right? So we go make a new plate. <laughs> How many of you understand what I'm saying? Is this anybody or is this just me? You, anybody, you get racked with guilt, right? You're trying to do the right thing. See, it doesn't make you evil. It just makes you human. You get racked with guilt in the sense of not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And so our answer instead of decluttering is to stuff more in the closet. Get more things on the table. That is not simplicity. That's not simplicity. It's not following in the footsteps of Jesus. So if we really look at Jesus, he shows us an amazing model of how to live. And look, like I said, it's not that we're saying be more cold-hearted and distant, right? Be mean. No, no, no. It's about asking honestly, being very honest and saying, what are you trying to cram into your 24 hours? Who in your life are you giving yourself to an authentic, life-giving relationship? Because that should be, there should be some people you can name that you are giving yourself to. It's give and take in life-giving, authentic, intimate relationship. Who, and, and what are you trying to accomplish that is not your Jerusalem? What have you gotten bogged down in that was never meant to be the goal? For Jesus, going to Jerusalem, facing the cross, was the thing that ultimately mattered. He could say that because he loved these people. That was what mattered. But he also knows along the way, he can handle this many tight, close friendships. And and he also knows he can handle this many at the next ring, right? And he knows if he's really doing it right and we're mentoring people and we're being disciples who make disciples, those people are going to help disciple people in their circles, right? And they're going to be in intimate, close relationships. Nobody's going to get left out but you don't have to do it all, okay? If we're doing it right, nobody gets left out, and you're not doing it all. There's your tweetable moment. (laughs) So Jesus doesn't ignore everybody. Notice Jesus also, he doesn't like head off to Jerusalem by himself. He's not like, you know, Frodo sneaking off to Mordor. He's, he's like, guys, I, I want you. I want you in my life. I need to pour myself into your life. Guys, we're going together. We're going to Jerusalem. But it did mean saying to villages along the way, at some point, I love you, but I got to go. I got to go. Because there's somewhere God is taking me, and this village is not my finish line. But you have to know that. You have to know what your Jerusalem is for you to be able to say, this village is not my finish line. So I love you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to serve you. And then I got to go. Jesus says, I need to pour myself into people, right? I mean, Jesus was starting the revolution right here. But he didn't go around and try to save the whole world all by himself, right? That's why he had 12. That's why they had 72 and 140 and all this kind of thing. he, He didn't have to pour himself into everybody. So you and I continually have to wrestle against. This is our culture. We're just, we have to wrestle against a world that it wants to fill your life with busyness. It's a drug. Busyness is a drug. You know that? It is. I, I know. It's a drug. He, the, this world wants to fill your life with busyness, with confusion. It wants to give you one more voice of input on, online and everywhere else. It wants to give you more clutter. It wants to give you shallower relationships. 
right? It, it makes you think if you are really somebody, you're going to have a million followers and not know any of them. That's, that's the definition of success. And, and it wants to drive you to an early grave having accomplished very little for the kingdom. I'll just be honest with you. That's what it wants to do. So, what we want to do, we want to access the, uh, the mind of Christ. We want to tap into his unbelievable sense of focus and his boundaries. We talked in week one of this series about how all of us are, are driven by desires. Remember that? We're, we're driven by desires, our loves, the thing that burns inside us, right? So, some people call it the fire in the belly. There, there's that divine spark, that life source. You have this thing in you. And, and, and it's this thing that when it's gone, you're dead. And when it's there, you're alive. The Greek, the Greek called it eros. It's this, this burning thing, this desire this, that drives us. All of us are this way, right? We can't stop moving toward it or we die. We're these existential sharks, right? We can't stop. We got to keep going. We got to keep going. Jesus was guided by a single passion to do the will of the Father, he was guided by that. That kept Jesus focused. It kept him with simplicity of soul. So he wasn't confused all the time. I don't know what to do today, God. Oh, what do I do? There's all these options. No, it was just the will of the Father, right? And he knew where the will of the Father was taking him. To ask, so, so we ask, we've been asking for the last four weeks, God, what are you doing today? What are you doing today? Let's do it together. I want to be guided by that principle. Let's do it together. Together. And, and you know what, your, your special purpose, the thing that your Jerusalem, it might be different from mine, right? Because God's made us unique. He's given us all a purpose, just like he's made different churches unique. He's given them a specific a specialty or something like that. So my Jerusalem might be a different one than yours. But what happens if you stop moving in that direction? What happens? You start letting all the temptations and choices that come your way, all the hundred different destinations you could go, and what happens is that dilutes that fire in your belly. It, it snuffs it out because that fire doesn't have life. And, and when we don't have a Jerusalem, what happens is we become split. We become fractured beings. We say yes to this and yes to that and yes to this and yes to that because they all seem like good ideas. Let's say yes to it all. And, but our minds are over here. And while we're over here, we're not even thinking about that. We're thinking about something else. And we can't concentrate on the people that we're with. I mean, I'm the, I'm the most guilty of this of, of everybody. And we're these divided, fractured beings, right? Giving ourselves to, to everything and not fully giving ourselves to anything. And that's, the, that's a tragedy. Because we're trying to do it all. We're trying to give ourselves to everything, not giving ourselves to anything. Now, let's think about this. So, you and I live multi-layered lives. What I mean is we have multiple dimensions to our life. So there's multiple things that I am. I'm a pastor. Right now I'm a pastor. Um, I'm also a husband. I'm a father. I'm a friend. Uh, I'm a son. I have these multiple dimensions to my life. Uh, I'm an employee. I'm a boss. You know, I'm all these things. I'm a disciple. So in each area of your life, there is a Jerusalem that God has set before you. And to get sidetracked in any area of your life can have devastating effects. So let's, ta- let's make this practical. Take a marriage, for example. Take the sexual relationship within a marriage. When it's not all harnessed and directed to 
the other person. It gets splintered over here and over here. There's some attention over here, a little tension spread over here, a little flirting over here. And there's energy being divvied out. What does it do? Kills the marriage. Right? When it's not all harnessed towards your Jerusalem. Think about your work. There's things that you do, the things that you know you gotta do every day, the work of your hands, and, and some of you you have you have the pleasure of getting you get to do what you love and, and it's this great joy, this talent. And but but maybe you know, but every day there's those little things, those little fires we gotta put out, and you're doing this thing and that thing, you're putting that out, and you're distracted with all these little things and I, when that happens to me, you know what I get? I get this perpetual feeling that I am working really hard and I am getting nothing done. Anybody ever feel that way? Getting nothing done. But man, I'm exhausted. In my relationships with people, well, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with that person. And I know God has put me into the lives of these people and and they speak into my life and speaking into theirs. But I'm also trying to email these 20 people, right? And I'm trying to fix that person and that person and that person and that person. And I'm, and I'm running to like 18 different people to fix me and, and, and that person. And I'm trying to respond to that email and those five voicemails and those 10 texts and those 72 emails. And I'm trying to keep all these relationships spinning like plates, right? Because I got to. I'm supposed to do this. But what happens is I'm just getting shallower and shallower and shallower and trying to fit in more and more and more and more. So what I need to admit. Thank you, sir. What I need to admit is, who are the three, the four, the 12 people that I am actually deeply, authentically walking with in their lives? Not that I don't love everybody, not that I'm not a friend to everyone, but who are the 12 who are speaking into my life, and they're letting me speak into their life? We're really journeying together. You know what I'm talking about. You know that, that group. That we're journeying together. Being a person committed to simplicity means knowing who you're supposed to say yes to and who you may have to, on occasion, say no to. Or at least, not right now. Not 24-7. That's okay. Right now, you gotta, you, that just makes you anxious thinking about that, right? You're like, all this guilt is trying to come on you right now. No, i got to say yes to everybody 24-7. There might be times you have to say, I can't right now. I can't right now. This isn't easy. Like we've said about this whole thing, discipleship is simple. It's not easy. It's simple but not easy. It takes discipline. Discipleship, discipline, you get it? It takes discipline to take all that fire in your belly, right, that's churning inside us, and to harness it. Harness it. Throw it full force towards your Jerusalem. For it, f- throw it full force towards your Jerusalem, and see what happens. If you're frustrated by results in your life, maybe you got too many destinations on your plate. Know what your Jerusalem is. I'm telling you what, my friends, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit helping you to focus you, he can help you. He'll help you do this. Focus you. There's nothing that can stop you from doing great things. Nothing. But let me tell you, bouncing around, trying to do one good thing, tackle at every possible good thing, Bouncing around will stop you from doing anything great. You can do a whole lot of good things and never do anything great because you don't know what your Jerusalem is. 
John Ortberg says this, For most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted, rushed, preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. To say yes to what matters means you got to say no to a lot of good choices. Somebody else that was pretty brilliant said this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. Mary knows what her Jerusalem is. It's to sit at my feet and listen to what I have to say right now. It's Jesus, in case you don't know. It's Jesus talking about Mary and Martha, these sisters. And they're both trying to do good things. Martha's got some good stuff. It's to make a meal for Jesus. That's good. That's beautiful. She's pouring herself into that meal. But she's frustrated because her Jerusalem doesn't match up with Mary's Jerusalem, which is this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity right now. I am not wasting this. She's focused. She's not going to let anything derail her. One thing. You're upset and you're worried about many things. How many of you are upset and you're worried about many things, but one thing is needed to follow Jesus? We love options, right? <laughs> this, is, this is another thing. I don't know if, I mean, I never lived in another culture, so I don't know if this is unique to us, but man, we love our options. I do too, right? Do you want this thing with 10 options or this thing with 100 options? Obviously, I want 100 options, right? <laughs> do you want four channels or 172,000? Sounds great, 172,000, right? Um, I'm never going to watch this whole show, right? But I'm going to flip through them all. We love options. We're in a culture that worships choice, right? Don't tie me down. Don't tie me down to a choice. I want to keep my options open. Oh, that's what we love to say. I want to keep my options open. Don't tie me down. Don't fence me into one commitment, right? We're keeping our options open, and it's killing us. It's keeping you from fulfilling what God has called you to do. You're not focusing on what God's called you to do, what he's created you for. It's keeping you from your Jerusalem. You got to say no to some really good stuff to say yes to something great, to, to something that matters, that God has given you that matters. And then you know what you got to do? Never look back. We never have an instance where Jesus went, oh, guys, I feel bad about this. Hold on. Guys, I'm sorry. Okay, one more. He never looked back. He just kept going. I'll see y'all. See y'all later. See y'all in a while, a long while. (laughs) Simplicity commits to one thing, and and it doesn't spend the rest of our waking hours agonizing over what we said no to. So don't agonize. Ask the Lord, what are we doing today? And I'm not going to agonize over what I had to say no to. I'm following Jesus, following Jesus. If you want to be more like Jesus... You know, you know what you don't see Jesus doing? You do not see Jesus distracted. You do not see Jesus rushed. Guys, we've got to hurry. We've got to go. No, no, no. He knows that he's always in the place he's supposed to be. We don't find him worried. Now, Jesus cares very deeply about things, doesn't he? 
He cares. Oh, man, he weeps for things. He loves. His heart breaks for things. But you don't see him worried. I wonder, I wonder, God, I wonder what's going to happen. You don't find him worried. He cares and he loves and his heart breaks, but he never worries. You do not find Jesus having guilt. He was filled with compassion. And I know he felt compassion for those people that he had to walk away from. He felt compassion. But you don't see him filled with guilt. You don't see him feeling torn. He calls us to be free from guilt. Free from guilt. And there's a whole other direction we could take this. Guilt's not the same as conviction, right? The Holy Spirit brings conviction. And the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. But that conviction of the Lord brings us closer to Jesus and closer to his path. That's what the conviction, that's how you know, am I feeling guilt or conviction? Is this bringing me closer to the way Jesus wants me to live or further away? Jesus frees us from the guilt of believing that lie that you are supposed to live your life like a multitasking robot. And we, so many of us have believed that lie. He frees us from that. Free! So maybe today, maybe today the Lord Jesus, he wants to invite you into a life free from worry. Maybe that's you today. Free from worry. Maybe today Jesus is giving you permission to not do it all. Are there relationships that you know you should be leaning into? You should be leaning into more. But it means that for, that there are, for some folks, there folks you just can't be there for 24-7. You just can't. And believe me, God is not going to leave anybody behind. He's not going to allow anyone to walk alone. He has, he has a group for each one of us. He has people that each one of us are meant to be with and to be in communion with and fellowship with in relationship with. Maybe today Jesus Christ, your Lord, is giving you permission to be honest about who that is. Here, here's a revelation for some of you. It's not up to you to keep everybody happy. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no. I'm still learning that. I, I'm still learning that. I, I know it's... It, if you're a decent person, you want people to be happy, right? I mean, that's natural. I want everybody happy. I want everybody happy, loving each other, loving me. Yeah, that's great. It's not up to us, though, to keep everybody happy. Look, Jesus. A lot of people were profoundly disappointed with Jesus. Think about that. Really disappointed with Jesus. They expected one thing, and he brought something else. He, he, he does not come to the earth to please everybody. He never said that. He said, in fact, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, the effect of me is sometimes going to be brother against brother. He doesn't come to please everybody. He comes to save and set free. Yeah. And we're part of that mission. We're part of that mission. Lots of people wanted him to stay longer. Stay longer, Jesus. Others wanted him to pick up a sword, lead a revolt. Let's overthrow the tyrants, Jesus. He really disappointed those people. Other people wanted him to act more holy and righteous. Act more religious, Jesus. He was such a disappointment to those people. Jesus was like a big walking disappointment machine to a whole lot of people. When you think about it. I mean, that's why there wasn't a crowd of a million people following him. 
when he's about to go to heaven, he's got like 140, 150 people who were sold out, who were all, were all in, right? Because they didn't understand what he was really doing, what he was really about, rescuing the human race from our sins. That's what Jesus was about. That's what he was about. I, I am a very amateur, very bad uh, chef at home, but I have fun. I have a lot of fun trying things. And so uh, on my day off, I've kind of gotten to this habit at home. I like to uh, make breakfast. Hard to believe, right? Um, I like to make breakfast. And so there was this thing like six months, I don't know, a year ago, something. I started this, I got on this one kick about making eggs in different ways. And, and so I got really experimental. I started reading all these uh, recipes about, you know, making eggs and different herbs and things you can put into them. And it's delicious. It makes me hungry thinking about it. And, um, and so what would happen was I would, I'd get ambitious. I'd be like, well, well, this is a great recipe, and this is a great recipe. Maybe I'll just combine them. <laughs> and so literally, you know, my day off in the morning, I'd, I'd be in the kitchen. I'd have three or four different recipes out. Like, I'll just, yeah, we'll put all this together, right? And, and then Mel would, she'd come in the room and I'd be like, baby, I made us, I made us some eggs. Wait till you taste. And she would see all of this out and be like, what are you doing? What are you putting in these eggs? And I'm like, oh, it's good. Trust me, trust me. And I'd add all this stuff, right? I add all this stuff and I love, oh, it's great. These are fancy eggs. I call them fancy eggs. <laughs> And that's code now for her. I'll wait till you're done and have my own breakfast. <laughs> right? She's like, just make me some eggs, put some salt in there, and give it to me. So, and and because the truth is, it was awful. Right? <laughs> Combining these different things is terrible. Right? There is just things that don't belong together. It's un- you don't. It's not found in nature, and you don't need to do it <laughs> to eggs. These poor, poor eggs. But. Yeah, poor Mel. I know it. She's a good sport. So I've learned to scale back. I've learned to scale back. Okay, there's certain things that taste good all by itself. And then this other thing is good, but not with that, right? That's why there's no, like, chicken fried steak ice cream, right? (laughs) Those are good on their own, not together. So, all right, question number one. What are we complicating that God wants to make really simple in your life? What are we complicating? Has God given you a mission? He's given you a recipe. And you're adding a bunch of ingredients that never belonged there. Because they sound good. They sound like good things. No, it's good. I heard this other guy was doing this. The other church. You know, this other church does this. Let's add that to our stuff. And, and this, this place is doing this. Let's add that to our stuff. And, and this other guy and this other lady, and they do this thing. And let's add that to our day and add that to our stuff and add that. Jesus wants to give each of us permission to live a simple powerful, focused, dialed-in kind of life. I really believe that, right? But we have to learn to say no to lots of good, interesting things in order to say yes to God's best. Amen. Amen. Question number two. Does your schedule reflect time that you have spent allowing other people to speak into your life? This is important. This has become vital for me. Having trusted friends and advisors, that that circle, to speak wisdom in your life. Or are you just going at it alone? 
because nobody knows you like you. You don't trust anybody else's opinion. One of the things I've learned in my life, no matter how busy I feel, something I do on a regular basis is get together with other people who are smarter than me in some area. Uh, Believe me, if I ever look around and I am the, the... the smartest one in the room, that is not a meeting I want to be a part of, right? If I'm the smartest one in the room, because why? Because the, 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 I represent the limits of that team, of that project. I don't want that. I want people who are smarter than me. So regularly, I find myself sitting with people that I trust, and those people around me, and, and I'll say, and I'll say, okay, here's what I've been up to. Talk to me about those things. And it's unbelievable how they will be able to point out that. You don't need to be doing that, do you? And I'll be like, yeah, you're right. Well, why'd you say yes to that? Because I'm a total wimp, <laughs> right? Right? And these are the same folks who will also say to me, hey, you know, this is what maybe you should be saying yes to. Right? This, or or this, this could be a missed opportunity over here. Think about this. Think about this. And I found that God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to me in lots of different ways. We talked about it last week, remember? He speaks to us internally. He speaks to us externally through circumstance. He speaks to us uh, through Scripture. And He speaks to us through people. He speaks to us through people. So I do not ask 200 people for their opinions. But I treasure the wisdom of a dozen I really do. And, and I tell you what, these are also the people, these also tend to be the people allowing me to feed into their life as well. I treasure that. I treasure that. So, all right, let's wrap it up. I'm going to end this series in the same place we began it four weeks ago. John chapter 5. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus is so focused. He is operating in this simplicity of soul. He's so connected with God. In another passage, he says, I and the father are one. I mean, that's connected. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's connection. So he has this divine sense of mission. He feels no obligation, no guilt, no pressure in his life to do anything except what the Father is doing. There's one time I can think of he did something different. It's because his mama asked him to do it. (laughs) He turned some water into wine. Yeah, because mama asked him. He was like, all right. (laughs) But he stays true to this. Most of the time, he's doing what daddy asked him to do. Jesus knows the father is not going to hold him accountable for, for other things, for not doing that, for not doing that, for not doing that, for not doing that. He knows the father's not going to hold me accountable for that. Only what he's been given by the Father to do. So think about it this morning as we close. What would it be like to live with such a vibrant, pure connection with God, like Jesus had with the Father, that you had this sense every moment of the day what to say yes to, what to say no to, what to say not no, 
what village to go to, when to leave, what set of emails to answer, what to go. Nope, not today. To say, yes, I'll take care of that. I'm going to take care of that. No, no, no. What would it be like to have this profound sense of God guiding you with such clarity that you could live this focused and tuned in? That is simplicity. That is living with an uncluttered soul. Amen? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward at this time. And I'm going to ask you, before you leave today, right now, if you're here today and you're like, this really resonates. This is me. This is what I need. But I'm not really sure what to do next. I'm not sure what my Jerusalem is. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I've gotten sidetracked. Maybe years ago I got sidetracked onto something else and now I'm just lost in the weeds. If that is you, I encourage you right now, don't leave. Come up right now. Just line up and let these good people pray for you. Because they will pray for God to give you clarity, to give you focus, to give you peace. My wife says something that's so valuable to me and reminds me of this all the time. When I'm faced with different things, different choices, follow the peace. When you pray, you ask God, do I do this or this? Follow the peace. Follow the peace. He'll give you peace. He's not the author of confusion. So he never comes and gives you confusion. That's from another source. Follow the peace. But come up and let these people pray for you. Because your life can be different. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord God. I thank you. You are, you are wonderful. You are mighty. Lord God, you are calling us to something great. You are calling us to do significant things for you and for the kingdom. I thank you, Lord God. You have called this church to be a disciple-making church every single one of us ministers who are making disciples who are bringing them and teaching them every single one of us disciples praying for other people in our circles reaching out making sure nobody walks alone you were calling us to be that church I thank you Father God for that nobody at Generations Church by faith nobody walks alone nobody will be left behind I thank you Lord God those of us who don't have anybody, if there's somebody here today, Lord, and they're not connected with anybody, they feel totally alone, I thank you for helping them to dive into relationship. Lead them to the people who will invite them in and walk with them. Lead them to a small group, Father God. What a great opportunity to find people to walk with. I thank you for that. And Lord, those of us who just had so much on our plate, we've We've wrestled with that guilt because we haven't done it all at the end of the day. Give us peace. Help us to know what we're supposed to say yes to, what we're supposed to say no to, and what maybe we're just supposed to say later, another time. Thank you, Lord God. Show us our Jerusalem as a people, as a community, as a church, and each of us individually in our lives. I thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you have never, never asked Jesus to be your Lord, don't leave. Don't leave. Because, you know, you can try to put a lot of this self-help stuff into practice, and it won't work unless you got Jesus in your life. 
It requires the Holy Spirit. It's too hard to do on your own. You have to have the Holy Spirit. So come forward. If that's you, if you have never asked him into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior, it's don't, don't stress out. Don't be intimidated. All he wants you to do is to step into his footsteps, orient yourself towards him, and start walking. Start doing what you can do today so that someday you're going to find yourself doing what you cannot currently do. You're going to be amazed. It'll be a wonderful year in Jesus' name. Y'all have a wonderful, a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy the big game. We're not allowed to say Super Bowl, right? Because we're not officially the official church of the NFL. So it's the big game. Y'all have a great time. Bye-bye.